0: Hey, friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. And uh, we've got a fresh bagel today uh, delivered by Rafa Nadal, the one and only 14-time major, not major champion, Roland Garros champion. Um, The stat that has been in my mind since he got to, I think, 11 Grand Slam was the fact that with three more, he would tie only at Roland Garros the same number of majors that Pete Sampras has overall, um, which Von just tweeted it today. Uh, And this episode will just be about, rolling arrows in general so stay tight with we are going to cover on tech, but we're gonna start with uh today's Sunday so it's very fresh in our memories uh we're going to start with the king of clay the legend probably the most dominant tennis player in history in one tournament or on one surface even um how are you guys doing today are you guys ready for it
3: <laughs> yeah super pumped uh it's like we've like we've come to expect Nadal does it again he's withstands all odds he comes on top he uh you know all the cliches that you can possibly come up with and more you know one of the most dominant athletes ever in any venue in any sport you know 14 times I mean I think before when we when we did our preview podcast the only reason we really had him third I mean obviously Djokovic and Alcaraz you know amazing players and they've done great things leading up into the French Open but we were just worried about Nadal's adult's foot and once we once we noticed that it held up fine during during the matches Uh, you know, and once he'd beaten Djokovic, he became the really heavy favorite to win the title again. And, um, yeah, it was just a demolition again in the final against Rude today. Um, but yeah, Owen, you were there. So why don't you tell us more?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of drained actually, because, um, I've been, it's been amazing. Like I've been at a bunch of matches, um, but I've been up really late a lot. I've, I think written seven articles in the past nine or ten days um haven't been sleeping as much as i should uh so kind of just emotionally empty right now but yeah as a match it was very uncomplicated i mean it was sort of a match in two parts like for the first hour hour 15 minutes it all wasn't very good but he's by nature so much better on clay than rude that he was upset anyway um and then he went down a break in the second, one three. And then, you know, just as you do one eleven uh games in a row. Um, so it was six three, six three, six oh. Um, I thought Rude played fine. Um, you know, he wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Um, scoreline was about what you would expect with that meeting with a pretty good and all performance overall. I think he had about 35 winners and like 18 on force errors, so very clean overall. But yeah, this tournament for Rafa was much more about the suffering and the battling before the final, um, which goes all the way back to Rome when his foot flared up. And then he had that battle against Felix, battle against Djokovic, um, had what was going to be even a bigger battle against Zverev before that match ended the way it did. Um, And yeah, I think this is harder than he's had to work for the vast majority of his Roland Garros titles. So this one's sweet for sure.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredible display. I thought of like, just his, his, what impressed me so much, just if I were to say one thing in particular in his game is the retrievals that he's still able to come up with and the defense that he's still able to do in the biggest moments is still amazing to me. And a couple of that with his endurance at his age and just his sheer willpower. It's like, you're just dealing with this force of nature and rude, you know, obviously who's idolizing the dollar who's trained as an academy many times who's watched and grown up you know as a kid like watching him destroy all these people in finals since 2005 and now he's in that position uh, himself like it must be you know clearly Nadal already has the edge mentally going into the match let alone you know you combine everything with the fact that he doesn't really have to change his tactics that much to when he's you know to what he has when he's playing a normal ready, who isn't Novak Djokovic because Rude, um you know has an amazing forehand he's been he's been serving well all tournament he constructs points very well he has a good point for point mentality the same thing that Rafa has but just Rafa does it better than him and on top of that his backhand while it's really high margin and it's it has a lot of net clearance and height over the net and it would bother most players for Rafa it's going right into his forehand it's it sits up right where he wants it and he can rush that shot. He can come to the net all day on it and he can just dominate the match by in neutral rallies with going to Rude's backhand and Rude isn't really able to stay alive and create a lot of damage on that shot. So I -hmm. thought that really held him back was his inability to flatten out the ball and take it to Nadal and rush his forehand or go down the line with it, put him in backhand jail. It just wasn't happening. And I didn't think he served his absolute best today. Um, I didn't think his he was spot-serving nearly as well, but then again, he's playing a different league over a returner entirely right. than Baron Cilic because Rafa, of course, with his lofty topspin, is able to get the ball right away to Rude's backhand, which isn't easy to do, but was able to do that, or he's able to get it really deep and then just neutralize him from there. So I thought it was a um, it was just a bad matchup for Rude in general.
1: Yeah, the, the biggest thing was definitely the backhand. I remember there was one point, I think late in the first set, they were having an ad-court rally, And Nadal pushed Rude way back. And Rude actually had a really good cross-court backhand. Like, he was way behind the baseline, but he got it very deep. Um, But Nadal just hit another cross-court forehand. And then Rude's next backhand was way worse. And Nadal hit a winner down the line. And it was like, yeah, your backhand shot quality needs to be consistently excellent. Um, And that's hard enough for anyone. I mean, I don't even think Djokovic was able to hit backhands as well as he needed to. And so if your back end isn't your strength, you're completely screwed. Um, yeah. like, and if you can't take it on the rise. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, rude. It was just way too hard of a matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a bit of both players' practices yesterday. Um, and ev- first of all, everything they say about an adult practice is true. Um, the intensity is off the charts. He hits the ball so hard um and he was basically he wasn't really constructing points when he was rallying with mark lopez he was just blasting forehands all over the place um and doing whatever he wanted and then i went over to Roots' practice and he was practicing against a lefty who hit with heavy topsman he was practicing backhands um and he wasn't doing well like first he got pushed back um and that wasn't working and then he tried to hug the baseline but his timing was off um and i watched that and i was like yeah he's it's gonna be really, really rough tomorrow. And I felt like that kind of summed up what the final ended yeah. up being.
0: Yeah, I find that um biggest trouble that Rude would have was obviously the backhand. And things like he, he was able to time a few backhands pretty well off of the um the to- high top spin. I but I just remember one shot that he was coming off to the net and he timed it really well. But he just like hit a like a nothing shot, like he just you could hear by the sound of the ball that he didn't hit. He didn't frame it. He just, he really did hit it in the soft spot, but he's just backhand is just naturally not very, you know, full of pace and he needs time to wind it up. And like, if he's um, near the court, uh, he can even create some good angles because he's got a lot of top spin as well, but just not a lot of pace. And Nadal just kind of got to that backhand like really easily. And it just, I just kept thinking if it was Djokovic, who would able to like flatten it out. Or even Zverev doing his match, like on the semifinals, much more able to, you know, put that backhand, like, into the corner and make Nadal actually um, struggle to hit a passing short. Just make it, like, overall more difficult. But Rue just didn't have that wing to work in his favor. And if he's going to stay that far back, honestly, like, team would have had an easier time just because he has, like, a lot more power and he yeah. just can't create that depth, like, off of the return from the backhand and the forehand. And Ruud just could do it on the forehand. And just Nadal's game plan was was clear as day. Like, nobody knew anything. Nobody thought that Nadal could have done anything different just because he didn't need to. He had a massive forehand, has a great backhand, a sliding, serve, like, to the backhand of Root. It, it was just, like, playing Federer, like, but without the yeah. the sheer brilliance of the maestro <laughs> um if, yeah. you, if you know what i mean although <laughs> federer didn't do them better like that much better against nadal in his prime years like of like five to eight although like five to right. think it I mean play. um so yeah the,
1: the 2008 final was the only french open final nadal has played that was more lopsided than this one yeah. um yeah. but so maybe to be Rudin. fair <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it, I mean, was, it was It was a and... what, like a twenty-year-old Nadal. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, that was
1: his peak. But yeah, maybe Rude and Federer can like get coffee and you know Definitely. Uh, commiserate. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> it was funny because I think in most matches, Rude plays. It's not super apparent that his backhand is a weakness. Like I think he hits it pretty well. He hits it with a lot of spin. But it's but Nadal puts you under a set of conditions that yeah. ruthlessly exposes your backhand. Like if it's not a super strength, it's going to come out. Um, like, against Chilich, I thought Rude hit a bunch of good backhands. He hit some winners down the line. Um, I thought he got good depth. But when you're facing that spin and that height and that weight of shot, um, your backhand has to do things that it can- it doesn't do normally or that it maybe can't do. Um, and Nadal is maybe the only one who can expose that. But against him, there's nowhere to hide. Um.
3: In a way, I kind of like what, uh, what Andre said about the, that it just doesn't have a lot of pace. Mm-hmm. I think it's really it's a really high margin shot. It's just a bit too slow to beat Nadal. Like, yeah. if you, like, I think, you know, if you look at the best backhands in the world, obviously Djokovic is number one. And, you know, even, you know, the players who, you know, even Zverev or Medvedev. Like, I think one of the things technically that I think, um, I think Nick Nemirov actually mentioned this on Twitter, but like one of the differences between Rude and Djokovic's backhand is actually like at the bottom of the swing. Like, to me, Rude. When he hits the when he makes contact with it, he doesn't actually close his racket face on the follow through, so it makes it a lot harder for him to generate topspin and just contact balls that are you know that are with the kind of height that Rafa has, which is usually above your shoulder. So as a result, he's much more reliant on his superior footwork to run around the backhand side and hit inside in and inside out forehands. But I don't think that works, that's not going to work nearly as effectively, and you know, that's one of the reasons why I guess he's just a lot more forehand centric and a lot, you know, a lot of his offense really comes from that bank and that's yeah. going to put him at a limitation.
0: Yeah. And I out. think the Nadal's out of the perfect like brilliance that he has like on clay, it's just like, it's just know the surface so well and his players very well, like his opponents and his game. So he just seems like to, he's just never really off balance of like on, on clay. It just seems like he always knows where to go. He always like, it, he always sort of like guesses, right. If, if some, somebody's like hitting a shot, you know, to, even if it's like right at the net, like uh, one of the shots that rude hit, like the shot, he hit like an inside out forehand, like right at the net and just Nadal just pushed it back. Like when a forehand down the line winner, he wasn't, he wasn't even stretching. He was just there. And you know, it's just like Nadal's ability to uh, read play on clay is, is incredible. And to defend as well, he never really slides and just like come off of this line so just kind of like trying to like find his footing again he's just always ready oh. for the next shot and that is is just something that rude needs to the only way to put nadal off balance is to actually rush him or just make him guess or just like really pull him like really far away to his back inside just force him to hit like um slices that he does not want to hit because sometimes he defends that he hits slice but just is, is an intentional slice so if you like look back into the the match that he played against djokovic last year he had a bunch of slices that he did not want to hit <laughs> he just yeah. needed to do it because he needed to stay alive in the point and that that's where djokovic kind of got on top of the rallies but like that was something that rude just couldn't pull off like today and rude played some amazing forehands in this match like seriously he just just couldn't get a lot of them and that's yeah a lot of it yeah. is not even his fault it's just because Nadal just wouldn't allow that to happen. And Nadal's backhand is just so much better that even on a exchanging, like you'd say like Nadal's forehand to backhand um, duel, like Nadal always will win that or like nine times out of 10. On the backhand to forehand side, I guess Nadal is able to change directions and you would probably be winning like I don't know four out, of four out of ten, and then Rudy yeah,
1: he, he still did pretty well there, relatively yeah. speaking. Um, and I think an underrated part of his backhand jail tactic is, um, even if you're playing an opponent with a great forehand, when you're bullying their backhand that much, the pressure they feel when they do get a forehand is so magnified because you think like, oh, here's a forehand. I really need to destroy this shot because I might not get another one for a little bit. Um, and I think we saw that a lot with Federer and at all matches on clay like Nadal would pick apart the backhand, but Federer's forehand also wouldn't be up to its usual standards. And I think that was because he wasn't getting that many of them. And so the ones he did get, he felt like he had to do a lot with. Um, And that cuts down on the margin for error and results in a lot more misses.
3: Yeah. I thought another key moment in this match though, was the beginning of the second set where, um, you know, Rude actually saved three break points in the first game to hold serve. Mm -hmm. And on one of those break points, um, I want to say, Rude hits Ruud hits a really good drop shot. Nadal guesses right. He shows good speed. He gets he gets up to it, and then he misses kind of an easy backhand volley. The funny thing is, I didn't I didn't even think Nadal was that great at the net today. I mean, he was seventeen for twenty two, but he, he missed.
1: He's had better performances at net. He's definitely
3: had better performances at net, and that was a really like uncharacteristic miss from him. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, maybe maybe he can maybe Nadal has a little bit of a dip here and rude can actually like stretch his lead from one zero. And then he goes up an early break and it's, and he's serving at three one, but Nadal just comes right back in him and is just ruthless from there. And it's like, just when rude started finally feeling comfortable, finally feeling like, okay, I think I can believe a little bit more now. It was all just sucked out of him completely. That belief was gone. Like at the end of the second set. And it just, it just seemed like there was no way back from him for him.
1: Yeah. Um, we were talking a bit before the start of the podcast. Um, I think Rude was sort of in a similar position to Coco Goff going into their finals. Like logically speaking, neither of them had any chance. Um yeah. but I think the way that they played the matches was very different. Like Goff was consistently had a really positive demeanor, lots of fist pumping and positivity. And after the match, even though she got blown out, she cried. Um and that told me that she went into the match thinking that she could win. Um which is amazing. And Rude, I did not have the same sense with. Yeah. Like or, I thought, at
3: least he, she had enough belief to think like, okay, I can trick myself. I can, you know, I can, I have that kind of mindset where I can, I can back myself against.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like she, fun. um, she had confidence, even if, realistic. even if she didn't really have reason to have confidence. Um, And right. Rude did not have confidence. I mean, I think he tapped out entirely after the second set, which I don't blame him for. Like he's, he's a Rafa fan. He knows all these stats and how, impossible it is to come back Um, but yeah I think I don't know if he ever believes that he could win the match uh, which is not super ideal and and he'll get there for sure and this is the worst possible first major final you could have Um, but it was tough
0: it's it's just rough to like at what point do you just say like you have the confidence to win and just try to be realistic with your chances. Like, and is that even a thing that you say, like, realistic with your chances? Is this really something that, like, you want a player to be thinking about? Like, for example, even Federer, like, he's made so many finals against Nadal. Like, even at the super beatdown that he got in 2008, he got back and like, in 2012, 11, he won a set against Rafa. So, like, there. even for Federer, obviously... Yeah, so even for Federer, who's obviously, like, he was the greatest player of all time at that time still like in terms of like achievements and whatnot and grand slam titles um even his record against nadal didn't really warrant him like much belief that he should be winning that match at all but he he still tried his best and like on the case against rude like what do you what would you even say to a person like this like hey listen you up against like rafa nadal who just beat Felix Yassim in five, and then Novak Djokovic in four, and then Zverev, he played like a three-hour match that he was like doing like pretty, like, diff- it was difficult, but like he he wasn't, he was arguably like a toe-to-toe against him, like, and you're Kasper Rude. <laughs> like, what do you, say, what do you even say to a player like this? Like, listen, just give it your best shot. Like, how do you, yeah, I mean, how do you believe you can win something like that? It's I think it's a lot like of his
3: purpose thing. was like, you know, enjoy the experience, take it in, see yeah. what I can learn from this. Rather than, you know, okay, like I actually have a chance. Like, you know, this is, I can grab this opportunity, you know, I can, I can be the first to achieve this and that. I I think he probably knew going in that it's not, it's not a realistic goal for him to, to win this title, but he's just gonna like, you know, see how far he can push Rafa. If that makes sense, rather than actually go down and.
1: That's the point I'm making. Like, I think he was too logical. Like, I think Mm -hmm. you absolutely have to delude yourself to believe you can win. Like, he couldn't Mm -hmm. win, Goff couldn't win. The other player was way better than they were. Um, mm-hmm. but there's not a whole lot of point going into but a major it's... final if you don't think you can win, like, you yeah. got to at least try. Um, yeah. so, like, if if I'm but it's a really coach...
3: thin line though, because if yeah. you if you suddenly start playing the way you're not accustomed to playing and you just say, Okay, I'm going to throw in a completely different game plan here, I'm going to rush the net, I'm going to serve and volley a few more times than I normally do, or I'm going to do this, like, you really have to go really far out of your comfort zone. And there's a chance this score, so 6 3 6 3 6 could actually end up at being. Like one, one, and one. And even then more lopsided, yeah. Even more lopsided. So it's like, do you just stick to your guns and believe in that game plan? Or do you just like completely go in with a different tactic knowing that you already have a weak link? Like it's, yeah. it's such a lose-lose situation to me. It, yeah.
1: it is, but I think you have to do the the risky game plan. I mean, yeah. like again, and, and I think this is where you do have to use logic. Like from the perspective of Rude and, and also Goff, the other person's game is better than yours. So if you go out there and try to do your thing, You're going to get blown off the court but if you go in with a really specific game plan that you stick Mm -hmm. to like let's say rude decided okay i'm gonna hit back ends down the line so that nadal can't pin me in that corner um he would have missed a bunch of them but he also would have made nadal a little bit more uncomfortable i think so like maybe he still gets blown out but he would get blown out more on his terms i think um going out in a storm of backhand errors that Nadal is forcing from you. Like, that's how everyone goes out. I don't see a lot of point in doing that. So if I were rude, I would try to hit a bunch of riskier backhands down the line, try to get the ball to Nadal's backhand. And like, yeah, it probably works. His backhand isn't that great. But like, if he has a purple patch, maybe he gets somewhere. And if he doesn't, at least he tried something. I think going in there with your normal game plan is doomed Mm. to fail. And I don't really see the point in that in a matchup like this.
0: Yeah. yeah, I I see what you mean. It's it's just it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it really is, hard because yeah. I don't
3: think he really has that ability to you know go hard down the line and take those chances. It seems like really really yeah. oh, it's, it, like, it's if so he, risky yeah. and
1: yeah. and also as a pro player, like you get to where you are by believing in yourself. Like it's True. it's so much easier said than done to just completely ditch your normal game plan. I don't think. I mean, yeah. you kind of see that with Andy Murray. Like it's obvious to everyone that he needs to be more offensive. But that's never how he's played. Like, it's not as simple as just deciding to do that. It's yeah. fighting all your instincts. Um, So I, I just say this as sort of a dispassionate, detached analyst. Yeah. If yeah. analyst is generous, even. Um, <laughs> But I feel like, strictly from, like, an odds perspective, Rude would have had a better chance, I feel like, if he used a different game plan than the one he did.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah. just going back to, like, a little bit more, like, over... Um, like, a general view of the the Open and Nadal's um, path to the title. Like, what do you guys make of it? Like, his toughest match and, like, what do you guys felt like Nadal really started to, you know, right. become the real favorite to the title? Like, I, I'm still not convinced between Felix and um, Djokovic. It feels like he started believing when he beat Djokovic. And then when he beat Felix, he started believing he can beat Djokovic again. <laughs> like, that's kind of, like, um, it's, like, Felix... Nadal after beating Felix, Nadal feels like, okay, now I can beat Djokovic. Um and after he beat Djokovic, he goes like, Okay, now I'm winning this title. Like as in like there's nobody who can stand in front of me at this point. Like, what do you guys think about that? And his matches in general.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously his first two or three rounds were, you know, fairly routine. Mm-hmm. Although against um Corinth Mute, he did mention today in press that he that's after that, after he got that win, his foot was apparently in so much pain that he had to he had to go through anesthesia and completely numb the entire foot to keep him, you know, playing in this whole tournament. He didn't want to mention that before because he's like, you know, out of respect for my for my opponents, and I don't want to, you know, talk about my foot because I've already talked about it like a lot. So and then and then after that, he goes in and he beats boric and he destroys. And against Felix, the main thing that stands out is that fifth set that he played, and actually all three sets that he won because I felt like his forehand was always on point, which it really needs to be. And he 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 was always. In the biggest moments, he was always, his forehand was always there, like especially down the line. And also, his uh, his commitment to his game plan was always there. And that those last two games that he played against Felix had to have had him feeling really good going into the Djokovic match. And then the way he started, obviously, for like, you know, uh, like peak Nadal for almost a set and a half to then like withstanding the amazing barrage that Djokovic came up with to somehow come back and win that 90 minute second set. And then, like, his level just stayed so steady the entire time in that quarterfinal, whereas Djokovic was having to line and go out of his comfort zone. And then eventually it just seemed likely that he would go through more dips and he'd have a, a really high patch of casino tennis and then slight dip, but only just slight enough uh, with the small margins. And then he would. And then the, I also thought the fourth set tie break that he played uh, against Djokovic in the fourth set was from his end was almost perfect. Mm -hmm. So that gave him, that gave him a ton of confidence. And then again, it's in those inhumane conditions in those, in the sauna, like humidity indoors uh, with those heavy, you know, sweating like crazy and those long, long rallies, uh, you know, like two sets, not even two sets, almost three hours and 15 minutes, you know, definitely he would, he caught a lucky break by not having to play much more than that because otherwise, you know, that was on track to go five and a half, six hours plus. I I mean, if he split sets, it, it would have almost potentially maybe even ruined his, chances to play the final yeah. and then he comes oh, were
0: you there in the semi-final
1: yeah that it was. It was pretty torturous to be honest just because <laughs> for the first little while i was worried that zverev would win and then after that it was just every point was a slog and i kind of realized like oh crap like this this is not going to be over for a
0: long time um how did you feel like did you feel the conditions were uh, obviously you were not on yeah court, but it like, was at, on the as a fan like was it very humid and, and weird? it was very
1: humid it yeah. it felt claustrophobic um oh. and yeah it was that was a match that if it reached its natural conclusion, it was not. Going to end because, like, one person played better, it was going to end because one person would have emptied the tank, like, collapsed, would have just stopped, started losing every point, like cramps, maybe, or an injury, like, that was different than the one we got. And, um, I wanted to say, like, all things considered, I think it was possible to see that injury coming. Like, I think when you play in conditions like that, like, the clay is not drying out at all, so it's just grabbing at the ball on every shot, slowing it way down. Um there have they played a forty four shot rally, super long rallies when you're having to play like that and you're exhausted and you have to do these very particular movements, footwork, sliding, changing direction like it wasn't really a surprise to me that Zverev like hurt his ankle like that. I mean he was probably wiped out. he was trying to do a very specific physically taxing movement um ankle turned a little bit the wrong way, and then he went all the way over like yeah, that's not really a shock, given like the exertion the players were going through.
0: I have a feeling that because of Federer, uh, Federer is being much taller. I feel like he played a little bit of a part as well. It's so like his mm-hmm. center of gravity is a little higher. So he might've just kind of like tipped over a little bit more because yeah. I feel like it could have happened to Nadal as well. Like Nadal keeps sliding all the time. Maybe he's a little bit more conservative with his movement nowadays because of yeah. many things, but he was still running that replay so replay was
3: actually pretty hard to watch on TV, yeah. like as he was rolling and then like how his ankle just like stuck to the clay and then it just yeah. like... He just stepped on... He started, you know, like, wincing in pain and pain. Yeah.
0: He's yeah. He torn a few ligaments, apparently, like, on his right yeah. foot. Nothing yeah, is going to be back be until, out until the US
3: Open, Open right? Yeah. So, long time out for him. Yeah. But, if he's yeah.
0: back, because there's also a chance that his season is over as well. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, and, and I kind of felt like Roland Garros would have known that the conditions were going to be slow. Like, would it have not have been possible to get two people out there for five minutes to rally and then ask them, like, are these conditions playable? Like, can you hit through the court at all? And they would have said no. And then they would have said, like, okay, we can delay the matches or something. Um, it was and part of it was the matchup, how Nadal defends well. Zverev has his stretchy thing way past the baseline, um, that made it impossible for either of them to finish points. But pretty quickly in that match, everyone found themselves in a situation where like no one was gonna win.
3: Especially after that first set, you know. I think had both players really like protested and been like okay you know we got to open the roof like what is going on here right. we got to postpone this and at least wait till it's safer and then we can come back out and it was just you know even though it was like not raining outside yeah it's just that's something i feel like in the rule book should be a little different and addressed for especially for inhumane conditions and like specific circumstances that weren't especially this was definitely one of those
1: yeah, yeah. um so. but yeah but back to rafa i thought like for me, the defining stretch of the tournament really was the last, the fifth set against Felix and the first set against Djokovic. Because I think those two sets, like that's as good as it gets. Like that's almost as well as he can play. It was an insane level. Um, I I think a lot of people didn't know if he still had that in him, and I think it also made him believe that he could beat Djokovic and he could win the whole thing. Um, I actually thought his level in the semis and the final was considerably lower than it was against Djokovic. Like I think maybe he peaked physically and emotionally in that match but luckily for him he was good enough to win the last two matches anyway um I mean especially in the final like the first hour hour and a half he was really average um but he was good enough that he didn't fall behind anyway and he brought the super high level when he needed it um I mean the first set against Sverev by all rights, break. he should have lost.
3: That, um, that tiebreak is still going to live in my head forever. From I, I two, mean, six. he
1: made an out, outrageous cross-court forehand pass at 4-6 after getting dragged practically off the court on his backhand side. Yeah. Um, and then he had to run all the way over. It was it was unreal. He had no right to win that set. Um, it was and he did. Like he, yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe his defining characteristic is, like, he raises his level to exactly where it needs to be. Um, like against rude or against um i know botek fund his he's not gonna use his god mode level when he doesn't need it but against djokovic where he needs that the entire match that's exactly what he did um so yeah i think um and uh before we move on to Iga, i wanted to ask um can either of you think of like a roland garros title that meant more to him than this or that was more well earned than this um i mean four top 10 players not winning a tournament in the lead up um I'm not sure I can think of one.
3: Yeah, I mean the four top ten players thing is is pretty big because that's only happened three times at the Open Era, and obviously yeah. once was Federer at the 2017 Australian Open, where he beat Berdych, Nishkori, and and then Nadal in the final. But and then you before that if you have to go all the way back to 1982, with 17 year old Matt Wilander. So it's mm-hmm. very 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 rare. Um, but in terms of like defining moments, I would say anytime he's come back from like a major injury and he's had a lot of doubts, like going in, you know, I think 2013 was was a special one. Because of like the six months off that he had at the end of like after the result match at Wimbledon, yeah, in 2012. So that was a that was a big moment for him. But he was you know very much in form and the favorite going in. But still he had to contend with Djokovic in the semifinal. Then he had to come back from a breakdown in that fifth set. And then very much the final was a little bit like how it was today, yeah. it, uh, where you kind of knew the outcome. That was against Ferrer. Um, and I then think, the 2017. Yeah. 2017, he hadn't won, and you know, that was like a his, he'd only lost 35 games and grew to the title, and he'd only, and that was his, he actually hadn't won it in 2015 and 2016. So for him, that had to feel good. Oh, I can do it again. And then yeah. 2020, obviously, you know, kind of similar to this, where he he'd lost early in Rome and not had any form, and there was a lot of doubt. But when you're playing three out of five sets on Kshatriya and you're healthy, then you're, you know, then it's, and it's in a final, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of the closest thing to inevitability mm-hmm. in sports. Like
2: yeah, winning. I, I, so I yeah. think
3: for, for me, this is like up there. Yeah, I would
0: say probably that? in terms of defining most likely like this one in 2020. I think 2020 was really big because of he tying Roger Federer's uh, 20 for the first time. He wasn't just chasing. He was yeah. in the lead as well. And uh, he was against Djokovic in the final. And, you know, all the talks about like Djokovic is going to like steamroll through Rafa in this final or whatever. He was the biggest favorite. And then that happened, and I think it's just we always like overlook the first one that players ever win. I feel like if you're Rafa, or it's just probably just my personal opinion. I think if I if I ever look at like my first, if if I were Rafa and I say like this is my first Grand Slam title ever, this is the one that started it all, and it was my first. It was also at the French Open at Roland Garros. I think if we look at this, it, like man, this this means something like different. It probably isn't the same. Um, in terms of like the story is different like obviously like nadal was already like a pretty good player back then he, I think he was already a top 10 he was young he didn't have as many like issues like health physically but like i feel like it's always like interesting to look at yeah. but i feel like he was always like put like at least like in the top three of this rolling Garros. yeah i titles. mean but, like,
3: yeah, the time yeah, federal always says you know like they always ask federal you know like what is your you know your most memorable one he's like oh it has to be the first one it has yeah. to be 2003 yeah. and because like you know that's where it could have ended and you don't know how many more you're going to win after that yeah. and then i don't even think he believed that he could go on this this kind of a streak and go 112 and three and like that long but just bigger picture in terms of like you know his legacy yeah you know i think it's massive that if we go back seven years from now and we look at that quarterfinal where he played against Djokovic and he just got totally destroyed <laughs> right so then if you were going to tell me that after that match seven go years later same he's going to round, win yeah. More majors, eight more majors after that. After you know, one of the most one of his worst seasons in 2015, injury prone 2016 with a wrist, and then he's going to win eight more after the age of 30. This is like the same guy that we, we thought would be, you know, his body would break said, down. By 30. Yeah, yeah. some said he's done by 25. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I, to be fair, Djokovic has done the same as well, eight majors after the age of 30, and two finals lost. It's the same record for both. Yeah, which is just crazy, you know, and now yeah. he's halfway through the calendar year slam. Like, right. this is the closest he's ever First, been. He's never yeah. won the Australian Open and the French Open in at, the same year. 35
1: yeah. and 36. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, we talked about him equaling Pete Sampras just at Roland Garros, but he's also got an Andre Agassi career <laughs> off clay, off his favorite service. True, like. Yeah. like
3: it's yeah, insane. I can see Lendl Connors like they all won eight, and he has the same number. It's like,
1: yeah, I mean, he's got eight majors off of
3: clay. Like I think I can even comfortably say that he's the best, best of most accomplished, best of five player in tennis history because if you just look at his ratio. Yeah. Like I think entered, I think he's entered sixty four majors, and he's won twenty two of them.
0: Yeah, and he and lost eight made, finals in that,
1: right? So like and in thirty majors. And eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, he's um he's twenty two and eight, and Federer and Djokovic are both twenty, 20 and eleven, 11 in yeah. major yeah. finals. Like he's he's the best. And I think
3: he also has the best ratio once he gets to the semis. Like yes. almost all of the time, like, he's always either in the final or he's winning. He,
1: he's the best big match player. Of <laughs> the Isn't it crazy? Then, like over if, the course of their careers,
0: yeah. like, it's it's pretty nuts. Like you think about it, like w- more than more than two and three finals that Nadal plays on a Grand Slam, he wins that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and obviously I, it's lopsided because the French Open is so like. Um, what do you call this? Like, so dominant and in yeah. Australia, he had like a completely reverse look on that one, but like, it's it's yeah, still even away massive.
1: from Roland Garros. I think he's, he's pretty close to 50 eight. 50.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's he's eight and eight, and it's kind of the same with Djokovic, he's nine and oh at the Australian, and then he's 11 11 everywhere else. It's like, yeah, these two really have one major where they really like we see the most vintage version of themselves, and yeah, yeah, try to see uh. Yeah like for for me and especially if he if he goes to Wimbledon and he wins that one now he's going to have 3 on every single surface which hasn't yeah. been done before either.
0: Yeah. Do you guys think I, he goes I to Wimbledon? I think
3: Wimbledon, Wimbledon is, is is for sure his worst major now. Yeah. Well yeah. yeah I, that's another an point. I
1: mean he said he wants to go. I my guess is like he'll go maybe he pulls out though. Um, I think
3: it'll be a very touch and go. He's definitely not playing anything before. Um, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. He'll be resting all the way till the very, very yeah. we will be trying yeah. to find all possible solutions. The thing is he doesn't have a long-term solution to the foot. Right. So I don't know how long, you know, cortisone will keep up and you know painkillers yeah. and I mean
1: he's already said he doesn't want to keep doing the injections. Um uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I mean hopeful. Didn't
3: he also say that he has two more options? Either he can get a major surgery, which would keep him out of the game for a long time, or he'd have like this thing where he he could get rid of some some bone thing in the foot and then he like it's more of a minor procedure but it will get him through like like a few more weeks like it's very like short term but
1: i'm i'm not sure actually i mean he did mention a major surgery but i think he said he had no idea if he would even be able to return to this yeah, because like a major um, surgery it's sort and, of
0: like in, in the same vein as the metal hip type of thing for Andy. yeah
1: I, I think that's like yeah. the last stitch thing he started he talks about like a radio therapy or something or like radio waves. Yeah, I think, so like, I think
3: that's what I'm... That's
1: what um, I think what I but, th- but that may not work. Um Yeah, I mean, hopeful tennis fan that I am. My mind is already jumping ahead to a Djokovic-Nadal Wimbledon final or semi-final. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, hopefully Rafa can just stay healthy because my God, the game is so much better when he's active and playing. Um And it's always been that way. So, like, f- finger- fingers crossed for him because great year. Um And I hope he can keep playing because it's it's been fun Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Yeah. enough talking about these old dudes yes Um, the future is now move on to the future yes winner at Roland Garros how many games did she lose this time
3: she lost a total of 33 games and (laughs) one set in to the title and I mean literally we had Barty winning losing 30 games at the Australian Open we had Emma Raducanu losing 34 this time she loses 33 but I mean that's only like one of the many many like impressive things that she's doing right now. Yeah. she's on a 135 match winning streak, which ties her with Venus and pull, pulls her ahead of Serena. She's won six titles in a row, and it all commenced with a... six
0: titles in a row. In like eh? Four, yeah, four, four one thousand eh? yeah, and a
3: five hundred and a major. Like, it's. I,
1: I think I saw a stat 500 that 500 said, 500. said she has more 200. ranking points right now than two, three, and four combined.
3: Yeah, that's, in the race, in the in the race, she has in the winning. race. Yeah, in the race, and in the, but, in the rankings, I think it's like double of what uh, yeah. number two. It's is nearly has. double. Uh, and Condevita has had a good year too. Like you know, she yeah. he had an amazing streak at the end of last year. So
2: you should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Day at Whole Foods Market. It's mind-blowing what she's doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Svantec, the one set she lost this tournament, she had five set points. Um, and she was also playing a peaking uh, Zhang, who was fantastic. Um,
3: who I think is going to be a really good player, too.
1: Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, she was one of the only players who could equal Svantec's weight of shot. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit about that because... Sviantek, um, while Nadal kind of uses his forehand to break down players' backhands, Sviantek is breaking down her opponent's forehands. Like, she she will trade forehands with you. And she, not only will she hit more winners, but she's more consistent. Like, in, in so many of her matches, like, she's more forehand winners than her opponent and fewer forehand on force errors. And that is a deadly combination because all she needs to do is hit her bread-and-butter forehand cross-court and she wins. Um
3: yes. And then it's, on top of all of that, she has the racket acceleration too. Like it's yeah. it is yeah. such a fast shot. Like when it's coming at you, it is like, like, you know, you think of the best forehands on the men's side. Like I, I think Jessica Pagula even said after she lost in the quarterfinals, it's like playing a man. Like, like in terms of like the weight of shot on the, just on the forehand alone, I think she has the best forehand, like in women's tennis. It's the most like devastating singular shot right now on the WTA. I and mean, if Serena was still active, then it would probably be her serve. But like her Ika Swiatek's forehand right now like it is like like I think that is like the the number one I mean that's not even the number one obviously she has incredible defense and her mental strength is so strong as well I think her mental is like under talked about like I think the fact that she's had that psychologist with her since 2019 has really helped her like there's so many tough situations because just like keeping the streak going for that yeah. long and like having like it's brought up basically in every press conference basically every interview Basically every time, like she knows going into this match, I have to win X number and I'll equal this person and I'll equal that. Yeah. But she, but she mentions she doesn't like actually think about those things like while she's playing because she knows her game is so much better. But like the fact that she has the confidence to execute it, I think she has this particular routine that she's following in between the matches, both on the court. Like on the court, I've noticed she meditates in between changeovers. That's definitely something that's uh, that will keep your mind uh, away from wandering and it will keep you always like staying in the present, which is so hard to do. And then on top of that, she has all those other techniques like a visualization and like mm-hmm. I'm guessing like a lot of other like psychological like work because obviously Daria Brown has worked with like you know many people in team sports and other athletes so like she really knows what she's doing so I think it's like it's like a big level up now to like actually have like a mental coach and a, uh, like a psychologist on your team and that's like I think that just keeps her like so mentally strong and engaged the whole time like how does she come out and perform this way and. I think I think we talk about her just generally but in finals she's even more devastating. you know she's i think she, if you look at her set scores the last nine finals yeah. she's lost 32 games combined and this it, it's like i mean if you're like it, at least one of them is a 6-1 is like 6-0 6-0 6-0 6-2 like 6-4 6-1 it's it's devastating and this is a Coco Gauff who, who didn't even play bat. like this is Coco Gauff who was yeah. playing her. I mean she was nervous for about a couple of games like in the I thought she was a little bit nervous like at the beginning, but that's normal because it's a grand slam final and you're just getting used to them. But she just couldn't handle Ego's weight of shot. Yeah, especially on her forehand side, she doesn't really have the pace absorption skills to defend against that. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: um, I, I was there and yeah, you know, everyone knows Goff's forehand is her shakier side, but it's sort of like the thing we were talking about with Rude's backhand, where like against certain opponents, you might not even know it's a weakness. Like when uh-huh. Goff gets time, I think her forehand is a weapon. She's really good at sort of using the slice to disguise it. Um, But I mean, against Shwiątek, there's just nowhere to hide. Like she was having to deal with like these heavy missiles to her forehand again and again. And I think she ended up hitting like forehand, uh, sorry, like 15 forehand unforced errors. And it wasn't even because like she had a bad forehand stay. It's just because like a slight weakness in her game got absolutely exposed um, by by Sviantek's forehand, which, like you said, Vonge is the singular most devastating weapon in women's tennis right now.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, the only and, way I thought
3: golf was actually winning points was through her first serve, like getting a lot of underturned serves.
1: Yeah, I, I like, thought she was also able to make some headway in uh, at court rallies. Like she hit a lot of backhand, backhands backhand, down the line yeah. winners. Um, but stuff like that was like a small enough difference um, that it didn't get her anywhere. Um, Sviantek was just dominating the main patterns. Um and I like what you said about the mentality, like I think besides her tennis, her biggest asset right now is how she manages expectations because absolutely everyone was saying it's gonna be a disappointment if she doesn't win this, like her winning it was just yeah. doing her thing, and yet just tech, like it was a bonus, like she didn't see it that way. She saw each match as its own step um, and I think that was so beneficial because if you pile all that pressure on yourself, like, oh, I have to win or I'm not living up to my potential, um, it's going to be miserable and, like, you're going to play a bad match. Um, and she did kind of have a dip in form um, midway through the tournament. Being as good as she is, she still didn't get anywhere close to losing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she did take each match as its own, um, played better as the tournament went along in her last few matches, and, yeah, so well-deserved.
3: Yeah. she'll be having loads of tiramisu yes solidarity.
0: yes in france <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, i wonder like because two things well one is that Sviantec is the first player since like whatever like 2015 to win Roland yeah. Garros. that is not the first time grand slam winner in the women's side it's been like what, seven yeah. or eight years and two i wonder like if she's going to defend it next year And if she's going to triple defend it, like, in two years from now.
3: I think this one will mean even more to her than 2020. I think she even said in her press conference, she kind of got lucky in 2020, which is crazy. She won 28 games. But I think, you know, (laughs) now she's, like, expected to, it's like she was expected to win, and she knows she could do it when the pressure isn't, like, an all-time. Like, the fact that we didn't even consider going into the final when we did the preview, um, me and Owen were invited to uh, the On The Line podcast, and we were, like, previewing the final, and we didn't even mention, like, how the pressure would, like, get to her or, like... Oh, like, she would be frozen in the final. Like, she could get, you know, frozen because we just knew how strong her mental is. So, like, the fact that she can actually, like, defend it this way. Yeah. I think she can go on and win multiple. Like, if she's, you know, obviously, if she's healthy and if she doesn't, you know, assuming yeah. like, you know, you can't predict, like, which rivals come up and all of that. But, like, right now, like, there's such a big gap between her and pretty much everyone else. And a lot of these players that she faced are, like, you know, decent, really good or players like a Kazakina who like got to the Rome semis or like... Uh, I
1: mean, Kazakina was so in form and she barely yeah. won points in the second yeah. half of the match. Um, yeah.
3: It's just like I mean, her, that was kind of a deadly combination for her because she she does everything so well. Like almost yeah. it's very like Shiontek-like, like how she mm-hmm. constructs points and like yeah. it's kind of an abstract conduct. Uh, yeah.
1: But nothing is as yeah. good.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was just yeah, thinking like, about it. Like I was watching that match. It's like Kazakina has a game that is very similar. just like Shiontek's just more powerful, better, faster more consistent she just can hit more angles like kazakina is is good but like she's gonna be like your average player she's gonna be really consistent but like if you put in like consistency plus power which is Fiontek right now it's just what is kazakina going to do she just just got exposed because she just couldn't push Fiontek like far enough she just couldn't push her off of the uh off of the offensive she was just uh she was just just waiting to be to be defeated in that match, which is unfortunate because it's just how well Sviantec is playing right now. It's not even just how, how poorly Fiontech, um, Kazak is playing, it's just because the opponent on the other side was just um, peaking consistently throughout the entire match. So it's.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, the most fascinating thing about Sviantec right now is um, the level needed to beat her is currently a completely unknown thing. Like, she's been so good for yeah. so long that. I think the last matches she lost are not instructive at all because she's improved so much since then. Um, I think the last time she played badly enough to lose um, to lose a match was long enough ago that it doesn't seem like it's going to happen again for a very long time. Um, So, like, what needs to be done to beat her in a tennis match? I have no idea. I have no clue. But I'm
3: thinking. I also started to think like, what about the slice? Because I don't know if like a lot of players mm. on the tour right now like they have a really, really potent slice. I mean, obviously Ash party. right, and,
1: and she nice was nice. able to beat Sviantec a few times in a row, yeah. um, although again, before this streak started, I mean I, I
3: isn't think... that more impressive though, like how quickly like she picked up right after Ash retired, like she knew yes. she only had to win like she had to win That's a handful offensive. of matches, and then like the fact that there was no transitional period, like there was not even yeah. like a gap. Between like oh okay now we're gonna have a few people like passing. It felt
0: like a, it's going to be a free for all, but now it was, it, it was it a wasn't seamless and transition, and,
3: um, and now it's like like yeah. I don't. I mean, Ashbardi, as good as she was, she didn't have the point-in-point-out focus that Iga has, and she no. didn't have the ability to like like if she had a bad day, she she could lose, you know? She yeah, lost, yeah, and like, she, a match she was last not
1: last year. she was not as well-rounded as Shvante. Yeah, long so. long I don't think so. I think Ashbardi, I think a she's more backup.
3: complete. I mean, this might even be a like for some, this is a hot take, but I think he more complete. This as a player because she doesn't. Oh, like, I mean, b- the, by far
1: she's more complete. I mean, like
3: the topspin backhand is a weakness, and the, I mean, like Eva just doesn't have that. I mean, her second yeah. serve is kind of a, not even a weakness; it's like a like a lack of like strength, but it's it's not potent enough to right. really hurt her because she's so fast.
1: Yeah, I, but, you I know, mean, when you, when you shot. played Bardi, you were gonna lose, but at least you had a place where you could go, which is the yeah. backhand. Like against Sviantek, there is nowhere to go. Um, and. I think something people are maybe forgetting is that, like, before this winning streak started, it wasn't like she was only losing to Vardy. I mean, at the Australian Open, she lost to Collins very comfortably. And yet, like, since then, it's like, no, it's she's been perfect yeah. against it's
3: everyone. Solid, it's just been Collins and then, like, a peaking Rostopanko who peaks, like, once in a moon. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. It just but, feels like that's what you need. Like, you need to have a player who's going to play, like, lights out and is aggressive, like, just redlining all the time, like, flat shots, are just going to, like, rush her rusher beforehand pretty much it's like you're gonna nullify the shot maybe you have a chance but like that's what do you have to right. do to do it
1: <laughs> but, but but that's kind of what i'm saying like i don't even know if that's enough anymore because this winning streak has been going on for so long like yes yeah, she, the ego of february lost to ostapenko but like if ostapenko did that now would it be enough to win like probably not right probably not um, on a
3: clay or not, not on a clay court or not yeah, on a hard
1: yeah um that's
3: why I'm, it, I'm really curious about grass because yeah me too Her lack of, like, I mean, she won the junior title, but that's just again because she was better than everyone in that field. So, like, and since then, she's she has like a 7 5 record and she's only played 12 matches. And last year, it took like a peaking performance from Jabour to beat her.
1: Right. I mean, and and I think looking at that kind of makes her the huge favorite, right? I mean, like, yeah, Jabour crushed her in the last two sets of that match, but one that was peak Jabour two Sviantek has improved immeasurably since yeah. then. So I I don't think that's gonna happen again. I think um, that
0: by the time that Shfiantic loses, this it could be either of two things. Like one, um she has a really bad day and uh, or the other player has like a really Either amazing day or it just kind of clicks, just like she did, sort of. And I, I think what both
1: I, things like, need to happen at the same time. Yeah.
0: Because, like, the, the thing about, like, she, um, she's not like dipping her level. What I think it could happen, and I, I, I agree with you, and is that I think she, she has been up, up there so many times already and she's number one. She's got like a lot more maturity and experience that I think she's going to fight and she could still win, like, um, in a tough match. It could be like a really tough match that she's going to come through because she, um, sort of like when the big three win and when they're not playing that well, but they just fight through it and just kind of find another gear. I think that could happen to a Um And the other reason would be the other player like playing extremely well. And that's the one that I'm actually hoping for the most because um, I would imagine that, what well, not? would imagine, but I would hope that a player would click and be incredibly good as well as Shrantec and consistently good and that we could have a rivalry out of it. You know, like, those two players like reaching in uh, semifinals and finals all over, like over and over again and facing each other and pushing each other. I think that would be beneficial and, and great. I mean, everyone is all. just,
3: everyone is waiting for a rival and you hope that, I mean, Coco golf, like the thing is I don't really worry about her in terms of like, I think she had a great tournament. She's only 18. She's been progressing incrementally. It's not been the most eye-catching or absolutely like, like she hasn't had like the, you know, amazing like signature big wins but she's been carefully like steadily improving and everything seems like it's perfectly calibrated mm-hmm. for her to like get to the next level. Obviously she has to improve the forehand and all of that is the case, but I hope like in two or three years she can become a big rival and like yeah. she can actually start winning majors because I think the belief is right there. And I think she has all the other tools, it's just a matter of like developing and like keep on improving. I do. I would love to see like some kind of a tactical change on her forehand, like in an off season or just like, re- like just, figure out that shot in a different way mm. like and so she can beat the best players and, and because like, i think her floor is really really high like i think her floor is definitely top 10 it,
1: it is and like w- why not right like i mean she's better than ego was at 18 um yeah. like i think it's.
3: and the thing is she already feels like a veteran so yeah, that's exactly. really key I mean, like, cuz her breakout was at 15 so <laughs> yeah.
1: um yeah and and I, I think that we will get a rival and i think the tour will improve because of Shuajonak, because, um, yeah,
3: because she's no one is going to so be content
1: high. losing to her all the time. So I think people are going to think like, okay, how can I improve? Like maybe someone watches old tapes of Barney beating her and says like, okay, I'm going to develop a really good slice. Or um, even the, and then brings that the to match the table.
3: She lost to in, I mean, she lost a set to Samsonova, I think, in yeah, Stuttgart, Stuttgart. In the semis. Yeah, and it was like seven five in the third. But it takes or or like a tiebreak performance from like Zhang, like matches like that, where I feel like like you just have to beat her with like raw linear pace and just hope that she's a little bit off and you can actually like match her like, like shot for shot, or you can just return so aggressively and take that like sec- kick second serve on the, on the rise. That's another thing I'm kind of curious about on grass is like, I don't think that kick serve will be that effective. Like it won't bounce as high and it won't, she'll have to work harder to get that forehand that she wants, or she'll have to work a little harder to like get her feet set in proper position so she can nail a backhand and like, you know, stay in rallies and then like, She'll be forced to like come to the net and like vary her game a little bit or she could face like a, you know, someone with a little bit more variety. I always think like Karolina Mukova, for example, like we've always seen like good performances for her, but then she gets injured. So I w- I would love to see her like be steady and consistent. Like she got to the Australian Open semis. She beat Bardi. She beat Pushkova. This tournament she beat Sakri, but she plays an amazing match against Sydney a but gets injured. So if we see like more... If we see like fewer injuries and we see like more player like you know players like that that can that have a little bit of something different from your everyday like routine, you know, like big hitting, which works against most players, but but not against ego right now. So I'm really curious to see if like that the players with a little bit more variety, even like a Soribus Tormo like on grass, like with her slice. Yeah. Like, I want to see that kind of matchup.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ceribus Tormo is gonna dethrone Shriantech. I like it. Um, yes, no I mean
0: what about so, her economy, yeah. would you think like she pushed Fiontech pretty well decently she and she took 6 yeah. it was a solid match from her perspective
1: yeah I mean she's she's one of the few who could maybe match Fiontech in terms of technical completeness like yeah I think
3: like her game is very technically right yeah like now, about, when it like, clicks yeah getting but, like fit and like getting more experience because like yeah. right yeah. now she's, she has like a lot of other issues like on her yeah. plate like, like, to solve like, like if, and then she, also,
1: if she plays at the u.s open level i could see a competitive match but fiontech has so much more experience um that's
0: the thing and yeah. i think
1: has a better on-court intelligence so um it it would be really tough
3: but you know these winning streaks are are really tough because like the moment you lose a set or the moment you lose like once like that gives belief to like the less of the locker room and still feels like margins are like really slim like if I were to pinpoint, like, one area is, like, she actually doesn't hold serve, like, as often as you would expect. It's not like a like a Serena-type serve, or like a, mm-hmm. like a serve is not a super major weapon. It's actually her return, which is crazy, yeah. like, how often she's like breaking serve? It's like over sixty percent of the time. Like that is yeah. like, how are you going to beat her? And that's why well. I
0: play like Barty, like who like retires too early. Um, just had a serve that could yeah. probably like make Sriantech work a little bit harder. And that's why I feel like it's. I'm
3: tough. still so sad about the party. Yeah, we are all. Like, are. Stuff, yeah. I, I just, um, it just makes well, me crave it even more. How well Shvientek is playing right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think grass and hard courts. The discrepancy between her and the field is probably going to be less wide. Um. But yeah. I mean, this iron grip she has on tennis right now is, I mean, it couldn't be more well deserved. Like six, I mean, this is the sort of thing that we will talk about 20 years in the future. Like six titles in a row, 35 matches, like multiple surfaces, and she's 21. It's, I mean, it's insane. Like,
3: yeah. I mean, I mean, to be still, able to. There's still 10 other streaks that she has, like, left to chase. It's crazy <laughs> because you had, like, Graf and Navratilova won, like, 74 matches. Oh my yeah. god! Like nineteen, like eighty nine, and then you have like yeah, you have, they're all basically Steffi and uh, Steffi Martina,
0: Martina but, yeah. And I think, I think there's an Everett one. one, but I don't know, I don't remember.
3: Yeah, Hingis had one in nineteen ninety seven. I think it was mm-hmm. thirty eight matches in a row. So she she, um, she could almost didn't estimate.
1: Everett win one hundred and twenty five matches in a row on it um, wasn't It was, on on clay. Clay. Yeah. It
0: was on yeah.
3: clay, but not like you know
0: it wasn't one hundred twenty five matches in a row. That's obscene.
1: Clay. I mean, yeah. how many years would that have been? Like four, five.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, it was a full like five to six year stretch. Was, oh
0: my like, god, she was she's pretty much the key, the queen of clay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. There's there's a lot
1: of stuff to chase. I mean, but I'm I'm very excited to see how far Shvante can go because Same. it's I she mean she can do the channel double
3: insane. in one year like that is crazy because the transition from clay to grass is still very like it's still probably the most extreme of of all of them.
1: W- when was the last time? Someone on the double UTA did the channel double would have been Serena, right? It would
3: have been Serena in 2015. 2015? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, first person to do anything since Serena is a pretty big honor.
0: So
3: yeah, it's it's quite big.
0: Yeah. But yeah. And did I hear correctly or Owen, you wanted to ask me a question earlier. Um, no i don't think so um, okay i just i guess maybe um, saying um or something <laughs> no sorry i, I, my name. No I guess
1: we could talk about sort of other highlights from the tournament um were there any players or matches in particular that stuck out to you guys
3: on both the tours
1: or yeah on- just a- anything that comes to mind
0: i have to i have to put my head off for felix though i feel like he wasn't yeah. doing great in the clay season coming up to uh to that point. And then he played a really good match against uh, Djokovic in, in Rome. And then he played a great match against Nazal on clay at Roland Garros third man to do, to push him to five sets. Yeah. Um So the, that's the serve plus
1: one was incredible.
0: I think if Felix is just really, this year has been really good, even though he had like a kind of rough patch, like after his first title, uh, but I think it's, he's really approaching it with like a great professionalism and um, it's not just positivity in general. He's actually believing in his game, which is just great. And is showing results, even though like, yeah, I feel like his, I feel like Wimbledon could be a really good tournament for him again. I think it could even go on one over and just reach the semis. Um, maybe yeah. if the draw is like a little more comfortable than having Nadal and Djokovic and Alcaraz in the same um in the same half like i think i think things could come up together really well for him so i think my pick for like best overall performance outside of like champions well i guess like um, like one of the best overall performances like outside of the favorites would be for me felix
3: yeah yeah for me one that stuck out also on the women's side was leila fernandez like going off the same name like canadian To like, you know, this was the first time where I felt like she looked really like like her U.S. Open self, like the the self belief, like engaging the crowds, like taking the ball extremely early, like her angles, her fight. Like she was injured against Trevisan in the quarterfinals, and she still managed to win the second set in the tiebreak and didn't quit and kept playing. And I think now she'll actually be like she could miss Wimbledon, but just she's going to miss um, Wimbledon
1: she she had a oh, listen, stress right? fracture like she between her fracture. toes um yeah. and oh, man, yeah. I, i'm glad you brought that up because i i watched that match and even in the third set she was down 4-0 and a game point for 5-0 yeah. um yeah. and she didn't retire and she got one of the breaks back and um when trevisan was serving for the match at 5-3 fernandez had a 15-30 like it was one of the most outrageous fights i've seen um yeah. and it sucks because she she should have retired. It was a really bad injury. Um, and yeah. if if I you think look she at to pushed
3: herself too hard. Yeah,
1: yeah. Her her dad did an interview where he said he was pleading with her to stop because she was risking her career. Um, mm. but I mean that that quality that Fernandez has. I mean, not only is she a, an amazing fighter, but she also um she also understands something about big points that other people do not. Like she knows how to not miss. I mean, she had that match against. Anna I think in Indian Wells, where she saved three match points on the return. Um, Like it's Djokovic esque what she has. Um, And I'm not saying that she's going to have an all time great career, but like she has an all time great quality in her. Um, And so I can't wait to see how that pans out.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think it's a quality match was also quite interesting for me. Like at the end of the third set, she really stepped up and like played her best tennis. And you would see like a big difference in body language between. Anise Mola, who's a little bit, you know, is a really clean ball striker when she's in position, like off both wings, she has crisp, like supreme timing. And, you know, Layla was getting rushed and she was the one having to play defense and come up with shots on the run and redirect balls. And she was handling that occasion like so, so well. Like I think having been in the US Open final and being the underdog in that match and because she played as the underdog kind of throughout her US Open run where she beat like three top five players. Mm -hmm. and anisimova was like once that bottom half opened like a lot of people were picking her to get to the final because she she just has that pedigree on clay that Layla doesn't and for leila to like come through that match and she had three return winners in the like in the three four game in the third set and then health serve like like without any nerves that was really impressive and then the round before that she also beat ben so like this run was uh to the quarters was quite good and it shows like i think she can play really well on all surfaces
0: yeah i think it's interesting like uh, the 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 all-time great quality that Owen was talking about i think it's a quality that's gonna um pull another one in her which is like it's important to fight yes but like it's i think it's important to like listen to your body at times as well um and you know like yeah you can fight but you still lose but even if you fight and you win that match then and then what like she's not gonna she's definitely she was definitely gonna WO like on the next match like there was no way she was gonna make that that semifinal. um so and on the risk of even like furthering like her injury and being out for even longer or something like that because she was not a grade three um stress fracture out of four uh so that's pretty high up uh and that's, that's from what i read online by the way it's uh it's no uh it's not insider information it's just really out there already so uh-huh. um yeah i think it's, it's something that she's going to learn and she can keep the fighting spirit of course like when she's healthy and when it's a manageable injury like she will fight through it but like i think she's going to learn as well to not risk um more chances like this because it, it was a, a big fight that she lost and then she also lost the opportunity to play Wimbledon right after even though there's no points but yeah it's it's it sucks at the end of the day right so
3: yeah
1: I mean she's she's someone who I think could absolutely be a rival to Fiontech at some point I mean and I think she's a fantastic person to have on tour because she's fun to watch she's charismatic like the crowds like her and but but more than anything like she has that quality where not only does she fight but like she's she has this intelligence like on big points where like she just almost um, innately knows what to do, which is so rare. Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see how she develops. I just There's hope she can so stay healthy. many,
3: So much talent, like 21 and under on the WTA, like from Zhang yeah, yeah. to Fernandez to off, And a lot of these players have the fearlessness as well. Like they have, the, yeah. and, and some of them even have the experience. I mean, someone like uh, Bianca Andrescu, she gets back somehow to that 2019 level. Mm-hmm. I I could see her like actually developing like a rivalry if she stays healthy, which is a really big if. Yeah. And if she's able to maintain that level, especially on clay and hard courts, I think she could rival uh yeah. yeah. I think she in has 2019, the best too. in the 2019, I definitely think she had the best forehand in the game. And uh and right now like it's and I think she had she has that sort of like quiet arrogance like really like macho kind of like self-belief, like really, really like like puts everything into her tennis and
1: yeah, she she has the mentality She has the mentality in, in a match that like that. Um, big yeah, matches. Yeah. And I think we saw that she played a great tie break set against Fiontek in Rome. Yeah. Um yeah. and even though she got bageled in the second set, like so few people can push Sviantec to a tie break. So I think when the when the fitness and the match practice comes back, maybe she can do that over an extended period of time.
3: Yeah, it's just going Agreed. to take some match play. Like she doesn't yeah. have enough matches right now. Yeah. But another name that's doing really well, that's really consistent week to week for me, is Jessica Pegula. Like she's mm-hmm. number four in the race. She's a top ten player now, which is really well deserved because she's been so consistent in getting to quarters and semis and you know Madrid final, like Miami semis, like uh, even did well in Rome, like made the quarters here, made the quarters at the Australian Open, and I think she's and also she was in the doubles final with Goff. So like basically all the American women right now are doing really well. I mean, Stone Stephens had a resurgence and uh, got to the quarters again. But Pago is like one of those players like, who's gonna beat pretty much everyone she's supposed to beat, and then she's gonna have a, a really like steady season.
0: Maybe the rule of the WTA. Halfway.
3: Kinda, but a B- uh, you know, better than that, I but, think. But, but she has a like, really complete game. Like she mm-hmm. has really flat strokes, but there she moves ex- incredibly well. Like this, she doesn't really have one glaring weakness. It's just she comes, she's come up twice in these majors uh, against, Bardi and Iga, and they've been a little bit too much for her. But, you know, the way draws are opening up, like it wouldn't surprise me if she got to a semis or a final of a major, yeah. just because mm-hmm. it, like it's very much doable for her because okay. her floor is really high. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyone else? Oh yeah, on the men's side, obviously Marin Cilic, like what he did, you know, getting like being rude <laughs> and getting.
1: Beating Medvedev, I mean, that was, Medvedev. I'm
3: sorry, losing to Rublev in the semis, yeah, but beating that was Medvedev, one of
1: the better peak performances of the last few years.
3: Yeah, and the fifth set tiebreak against Rublev, because I actually thought Rublev played pretty well for like in a quarterfinals, and then yeah. Rublev, like he just didn't have that gear that Chilich had in that fifth set breaker. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think in hindsight, this tournament will be very good for Rublev because something I wrote about him earlier this year was that um. He had he didn't really have a signature win, but he also didn't really have a signature loss. And I think that when you lack a loss like that, you can't really learn that much. Like I think um, if you take golf, for example, now that she's lost in a major final, she's gotten a taste of what it takes to win a major because she's seen it on the other side of the net. Like if you're if you're watching from afar, I think it's much harder to tell where you need to be. And Rublev had made some ma- major quarterfinals, but he had lost them all in straight sets. And this one he got close enough to see the finish line. And so I think once the pain fades and he can digest it, he will be able to improve in a way that he maybe hadn't been able to more recently.
0: Probably. Yeah. For sure.
3: yeah. yeah. For me also, um, Alcaraz, it showed that he's human after all. Like yeah. this tournament, okay. it, it definitely showed like particularly the match against Ramos finless. He had to really, really dig deep and win really ugly, but you knew his level was not as steady as it had been. Uh, you know, throughout the season, and he definitely in the, in the, uh, what stood out to me in the match that he played against Varev in the quarters, is just, you know, the the golfing experience, like, it definitely actually like played a factor, because in the first two sets he definitely looked like a 19-year-old again, like someone who didn't really, who, whose game wasn't really working, he was making a lot of unforced errors that you didn't see from him throughout the whole year, and then he got it back, and he played, he fought admirably, he played a really good third set towards the end, and then a really good fourth as well, and they had a Really awesome tiebreak, which ended really unfortunately for him when, when he had a set point on his serve at six five in the tiebreak, and then just missed a backhand. Um, otherwise, he would have gone into a fifth set, especially with all the scar tissue that Zverev has of like not beating top ten players in majors. You know, you would have backed that fearlessness in a fifth set, but mm-hmm. I just don't think he would have been able to last because it's really difficult to like go in without, you know, to go up against the Djokovic and Nadal of the world in a best of five. I, I mean, he definitely still could have done it. He, absolutely. He could have won this thing, but it's still, uh, it, it, it's still like, just wasn't quite ready yet. Yeah, but yeah. It, it'll, 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 It's coming soon. It's coming really soon. Yeah,
1: I mean, and maybe, maybe Nadal fans will come at me for this. I, I still firmly believe if he comes through that quarterfinal, he wins the whole thing. Um, I think in the, in those conditions, he would have been able to hit through them in a way that Zverev was not. Yeah. Um I think he would have had the fitness to outlast Rafa. And I also think he was not losing in the final, whether it was Ruud or Chilich or anyone else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Carlos, keep at it, like getting close already. And he's still super young. Yeah. Um,
3: and, and I still like his game. Like the way his game is, I like it on grass because he's really good with the low contact points. He's really aggressive. He comes to the net. He has a great yeah. feel and touch for what to do. Um, his he returns really well, which is very key on grass.
0: Yeah, he just has a mm-hmm. great aura. Let's just be honest here. Like when yeah. Carlos plays, it like, kid can feel that he wants to win that so badly, and that he believes so hard in, in himself. Yeah. Like it's I mean, just
3: like you know, at like, times he didn't really yeah. have the right game plan against Vera. Yeah,
0: right. yeah um, but that's but, it's definitely something that he, he, he can fix. hundred. Yeah. He, percent and can
1: uh, And I think even in the oh, loss, God. he he did have that refuse to lose thing going on. He like did. he should have lost exactly. that tie break way before he did. Uh, Zverev served for the match. Uh, Alcaraz was down breakpoint at four all in the third. Um, I think he should have
3: lost in straights. So the fact yeah, that he even and, won it in, and, like, almost and won did, it in the fourth.
1: Did Alcaraz have a set point to take it to a fifth? Um,
3: yeah, he did. And he was on a serve in the tie break at 6 5. That's where he missed right. that easy yes. backhand, like, neutral error.
1: Yeah. So, like, he was, he was very close, even though he did not play well. Like, it, to yeah. me, it seems more of an off day than a cause for concern. Yeah. Just bad time for an off day
0: how lucky yeah. we are that he's only 19 years old <laughs> yes
3: i know all
0: yeah. right so i guess we covered most of it and not all that like yeah. we could in this yeah. hour and 10 minute yeah. of podcast uh, i've been counting <laughs> hopefully like you'll see like in the recording later if it's like an hour and 20 but whatever yeah, sure. Um is there
3: any any other players that we didn't you know cover that you think we i think we pretty much did it all i mean holger rune had a good run to the quarters yeah. but obviously I think uh, he, he lost He's he's more got to grow since he has yeah, some Yeah, definitely. Has, I'll just say let's just say he has some growing up to do because yeah. that's um, very, much, very much the case.
0: We didn't Why talk did about, you have yeah. to end with that. Yeah. Um well, uh, we didn't talk about Tsitsipas who is a better character just just wasn't really a great tennis yeah, player. I, I think I think the div-
3: I think the thing is that looking back I kind of underestimated like his actual level. Like I I, think I kind of overestimated like his actual level and I took more of the results into the fact than how he was actually playing. Uh, because like even though he had really consistent results, it could have gone really badly for him. He was he sh- arguably should have lost to Schwartzman in Monte Carlo. Probably yeah, should have yeah. lost to Dimitrov in Rome. Right. But should now have lost you're saying, to Massetti in uh, yeah. Like in the in the first round, you know, it took a big dip also from Massetti for him to win those yeah. three sets. And then he went so long against Kolar, and it just wasn't really working out for him. And he played one really good match in the third round, but that was a really good matchup for him. Right. And then against Rune, like he just. Some of those weaknesses that he still has, they got exposed, like the backhand and the yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely still yeah. like working it out, and he still has. I think Jimmy, who's like a really good person on this topic, like he was telling me that he's using different kind of strings and he's getting used to. Like, since February, he's been using those strings, and he's still not quite like committed to the change. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Like, maybe the positive thing for him is that he has more time finally on grass, and he's going to be playing the lead ups, and he's going to. Yeah. So he'll
1: have. Yeah, the- he'll have
3: need the grass court experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And compared to the clay season, the rest of the year is going to be very low pressure because he's not expected to do as well. And so I hope he's able to sort of maybe loosen up and find his game again because it's, it's been a while since he played at his best. And I think the top of the game is a lot more exciting when he's there. I I don't
3: think he's played his best all year apart from that one match against Sinner.
1: Exactly. And And I mean, still he's had a
3: really good year. So I think that shows.
1: But not only all year, I would say since Roland Garros last year, um, that's probably mm-hmm. the only time he's played his best yeah. um yeah and yeah it, like you said it speaks so well of him i mean he won monte carlo anyway and he was in the rome final like and it, not even
3: playing his best Yeah, exactly
1: so yeah. when he does play his best like great things are ahead but i am i am just a little concerned for him because yeah. it's it's yeah, been I'm a sorry, while no. so hopefully he can
0: get back on track yeah hopefully yeah. he can get a uh, because I th- i feel like for me the forehand was working. I feel like the serve was a little iffy, but not worse. But like his that.
3: serving was definitely
0: off. This yeah, but his thing. his backhand was just completely absent, like, for most of the time. Even on clay, when he has a timer, the backhand was just not pushing was, through, just slow. landing short and, like, spinny and loopy. It's just he was just sitting out there. It's just yeah. not great. This slice was working better. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he chose chose the string, so maybe he could, like, try to, like, get a little bit more punch on that shot, but... Yeah. Maybe maybe you got a trade off, and we'll, we'll see what happens next. But yeah, he's
3: definitely yeah. lacking some power. Uh, yeah. on that side, like it was, it was very easy for Hoga to like pin him in that corner and yeah. attack and ex- expose that weakness. I mean, yeah. the forehand is still so good, but
0: yeah, but you can only do yeah, so much agree. as we saw with Rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, and now that we've come full circle, um, I guess uh, we can end this here, and we'll see you guys next time. All yeah. right, yeah. I can follow us at tennis nation is uh, is owen on my left side of the screen and bunches uh, down below you're not going to see this unless i upload it to our youtube channel but we have a youtube channel our episode is actually getting uh, uploaded frequently so if you want to like um listen to us over there it's totally your choice um and functions at vonch vtk i'm at rolandberg andre and we are at tennis and bagels um thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next time for the grass season and i have yes. a good surprise for the tennis and bagels logo again <laughs> we'll see you guys all later. right we didn't all know right. this it's gonna yeah. be great this um is,
3: this is news for us
0: so yeah. we'll yes keep our listeners it's awesome it's not gonna be I'm that excited. big though but it's, it's gonna be fun <laughs> yeah Perfect. of course also
3: um, um make sure to check out the podcast that owen and i did with yeah. um, with jack edward uh, especially the one after the Djokovic and Nadal match we really went into uh, we really went deep into the match, and we really yeah, yeah, it,
1: yeah. If you want granular granular analysis of that match, then that's where to go on the Line Tennis Podcast. All right, um, okay, yeah.
0: sounds good, guys. Uh, okay. See you guys later. Yeah. Bye.